Well, since January 1st, I've been in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Let me get turned there myself. And there's certain things I've said every single week, I think, uh, since I started this back in September, but Ephesians is just two sentences. This is the last time you'll hear me say this for a while, uh, because we're going to wrap up chapter 1 uh, today. Um, this whole section, verses 15 to 23, before I begin, I just want to say, uh, I kind of, when I was first studying Ephesians, I, I, I knew the first 14 verses I was really excited about and looking forward to really studying those things. And, and then I, I knew chapter 2, and I was really looking forward to that. But then that middle section, I was thinking, eh, you know, it's something about Thanksgiving and prayer, and, and you know, I'll probably, there would be some good stuff. But I wasn't really focused in on that. But so far in Ephesians, the, the section of Scripture that's had the most impact on me has been this section. Right? I just have, as I've dug into it, I'm just like, oh, Lord. And what I was saying earlier about sitting down and God's, I mean, there's so much in here that I'm so thankful for. I feel like it's so relevant to right where Edgewood is at. Okay? And so I'm excited about it. And so we're going to break this down from the very beginning to the end. So the first part of what I talk to you today is going to be mostly review. I'm going to try to condense it, but it's going to be mostly review. Verses 15 to 23 might be what you might call a profound prayer. Okay? So we're going to break it down here. We've got this profound prayer. Now, I use the word profound. When you think profound, what do you think of when you think of the word profound? I'm not looking for a perfect def- definition here, but uh, when you hear the word profound, what do you think of? Deep? I heard deep. I didn't hear that somebody else said something. Deep, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just one of these, oh, that's, I mean, when I think profound, I, I don't think of a word, I think of a facial expression. When I think the word profound, I think, ah, oh, right? Oh, that's profound. I mean, it's, it's deep, it's insightful, it's kind of surprising. I, I kind of throw in this, this element of surprises with profound. It's, it's something deep you didn't realize was there, right? I mean, that's what profound is. So I, when I think profound, I think, I think of that facial expression that you, you usually give when you, when you encounter something profound. You go, oh, right? You kind of lean back and oh, you make that noise, right? That's something that's profound. And I believe there's three elements in this section that are extremely, at least to me, extremely profound. And I hope they're profound to you. And so we're starting here talking about a profound prayer. Notice Paul thanks God. Now this is the first element of the profound. This is the first kind of moment. Okay, Paul starts off thanking God for these churches, these recipient churches, specifically Ephesus is what we're thinking about. They're receiving this letter, right, in these other churches. And, and Paul starts out by thanking God because he's heard about... I mean, think of how amazing that is. That the word has traveled that this is a faithful, loving church. Right? They're so faithful, so loving, word has spread. And yet Paul is praying for them for something more. To me, that's profound. I would look at a faithful, loving church and think, man, that's all we need. We did, you know, some of us don't even hold on to the faithful part. You know, all you need is love, right? I mean, just, if you got love, that's all you need. And, but here, here we've got a church that's faithful and loving. And Paul says, so I'm going to pray for you. That, that's profound. You're faithful, you're loving, but I'm going so to pray for you. You usually think, man, you guys are set. I'm going to move on to this other church. They're all messed up, right? We'll pray for them. No, no. Paul says, you're faithful and loving, so I'm going to pray for you. This is a profound prayer. And this is a key element to understanding this whole passage is that faithful loving, but I'm going to pray for you. Right? There's something else. There's something more. Okay? And he opens up this prayer and he begins with a request for a divine intervention. I mean, not just any old intervention. He wants a divine intervention. He's talking about the Spirit of God. He says, I'm praying, first of all, and he, says, he talks about the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so this divine wisdom is for two things. It's for wisdom, which is the deep things of God, and revelation, which is the secret things of God. And we talked about that. The deep things of God and the secret things of God. And, and, and really, these things only come from God's Spirit. And so Paul's saying, 
you faithful, loving church, I'm going to pray for God's spirit to be on you in such a way that you're not going to miss out on the, the deepest stuff, the, the, the secret things, the things that a lot of people miss. I want to make sure that you know these things about God. The real deal. I don't want you to miss it. So I'm praying for a divine intervention. I'm praying for God's spirit to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Right? So Paul's asking for this divine intervention. Next, he throws in this short statement about enlightenment. He starts talking about enlightenment. And, and, and he, he's not asking for enlightenment. What he's actually saying is, since you've been enlightened or because you've been enlightened. Right? He says it specifically, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. In other words, it's already happened. So you might say it this way, since you can see, I want you to see. You know, the word see and the word know are interchangeable. Later on, he's going to talk about, I want you to know this, I want you to know this. That word know can be, sometimes it's translated as see. And so Paul's saying this, he's saying, because you can see, because you, because you have, the eyes of your heart have been opened, I want you to make sure that you see this, Right? Because you can see, you know, I want you to see these things. It'd be like if suddenly you had a blind person and, and they opened their eyes, right, for the first time they've been healed. And you go, and they're, look, they're looking at the carpet going, wow. And you go, that's nothing. Look what's outside, right? I mean, because you can see, I want you to see. I want you, because your eyes have been opened, because the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, I want you to see these things. And then Paul begins to pray for three specific things that he wants them to know or wants them to see. The first thing is this. He says he prays for them to know these three things. Number one, he says the hope of his calling or his hope. Right? God's hope. He says, I want you to know the hope of your calling. There's this hope in something new. And we spent uh, one week talking about this. In other words, being a Christian isn't about a stronger sense of hope for the things that you want. Frankly, it's a whole new hope. You're hoping in something different. Instead of hoping for health or wealth, instead of hoping for comfort or lack of trials, you've simply put all of your hope in Him. This is why there are Christians out there today suffering for the cause of Christ who instead of praying, Lord, relieve us, of the suffering, instead, what do they pray? Lord, help us to be faithful in the midst of this suffering for the sake of your name, for the glory of your name. I'm convinced that as Christians in America today, we, we've forgotten how to pray. The majority of my prayers, you know what the majority of my prayers are about? Give me safety. Help me to have a safe trip. Help things to go smooth. Help things to go well for me. You can't read the New Testament and find much of that. What you find instead are things like, Lord, let me suffer for your name. For your name's sake. Lord, let me go through whatever you want me to go through for your name's sake. For the glory of your name. The name of Jesus right now in America is not lifted up and glorified. And the things that are the most glorious to the name of Jesus is when you see Christians suffering for his name and still praising him. Our Americanized version of Christianity doesn't understand that very well. We're, all of our hopes are in the white picket fence and the, the smooth life or the blissful retirement or the beach vacations. But in the words of John Piper, I'm coming to believe and coming to even be able to say, don't sell me heaven before I get there. Don't sell me heaven. I don't want heaven yet. There's heaven is coming. I'm not interested in it right now. I have one opportunity for the cause of Christ in my life. And I do not want to miss it. I do not want to live through my life smooth and miss the glorious cause of Christ. I don't want to miss it. Americanized Christianity calls the CLA, the Christian Law Association, every time the government seems to be impeding on their rights. You know what they did? They took down the Ten Commandments. We've got to get them. Peter and John, after being beaten for the cause of Christ, looked at each other and said, I can't believe we were counted worthy to suffer 
And then they started praising God right there. Or us, we, we encounter tragedy. We, things have been going smooth and then something bad happens and we cry out to God, God, how could you let this happen? But then you see somebody like Job who loses his family. All of his children dead. Loses all of his possessions. Loses his health. And instead of crying out against God, cries out on God's behalf and says, Praise, praise be God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives, God takes away. Just bless His name. Our Americanized version of Christianity, we go, wow, that's, that's something special. That's, that's for unique Christians. No. That's for all of us to cry out that way. How is that possible? It's got to be because we have to see, and this is what Paul's praying for, see his hope, the hope of his calling, what he's called you to. If you, don't, if you can't see that, you can't do these things. This is why Hebrews is full of examples of, of Abraham. And it specifically says about Abraham, he, he didn't get what he was promised, but he had his eyes on another country, it says in Hebrews. Right? What's going on? His eyes are, it's not about here, it's about there. Secondly, Paul prays not just for his hope, right, to know his hope. Secondly, he prays for his inheritance. In other words, he prays specifically, he says, that you may know, right, the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, once again, our, and I'm going to keep saying this phrase, but our Americanized version of Christianity that we're stuck in, is we, we, we hear inheritance and the gloriousness and riches, and we start thinking, pearly gates and golden streets, I can't wait to get there. That's not what it's talking about. It doesn't say our inheritance. What does it say? His inheritance that's in his saints. This isn't about some self-indulgent, self-pleasing view of heaven. Our greatest reward, the greatest reward that we have is just to be his people. Heaven is, is not about the pearly gates and not about the streets of gold. What it's really about is that we get to be in his city and be his people. That's what it's about. We get to be His. We're His inheritance. And we get to be part of that. That's the glory of heaven. Is not what we get to indulge and enjoy. Oh, no more pain. Those are great things and the Bible talks about those things. But the great thing of heaven is simply that we get to be His people. All of you. The glory of heaven is not that you will not be sick anymore. That's great. It's not that you're not going to have to suffer anymore. That's great. But the greatest aspect of heaven is that we get to be God's people and to live in His city and have Him rule it His way. That's the glory of heaven. And that's what Paul said. I want you to know this. I want you to see. I don't want you to miss it. Yes, you're a faithful, loving church, but I want you to see this. I don't want you to miss out on this. Paul wants them to see it. Finally, in this profound prayer. Do you see why it's so profound? It's not like how we pray. That's not, this isn't like how we normally pray. This is how Paul's praying. I want you to see his hope. I want you to see the, glory, the riches of his inheritance. And the third thing is there, he tar- starts talking about the power. And so he's finally, he prays for his power. Christ's power. And this is where we spent last week. This is a power that's toward us. And Paul mentions this power and that he wants the recipients to know this power. But then as soon as he prays for this, Paul begins to elaborate. We might call it waxing eloquent, right? Paul breaks on to this whole section where he's trying to describe the, what this power is all about. And so as we talk about this profound prayer, we move into the next aspect of this. When we talk about his power, we're talking about a profound power. Not just a profound prayer, but for a profound power. This power should be... And I can understand maybe what Paul was feeling when he's trying to describe this power. Because when I try to talk about it, my, my words just don't do it justice. What Paul's talking about. 
He talks about this profound power and he uses three aspects of this profound power. And so we're going to branch into this. Number one, he talks about it as a resurrection power. A resurrection power. Right? This is the greatest thing God has done. Christ, Jesus, has taken on himself the sins of the whole world. He's then bore the wrath of God and in the process been crucified on a cross. He's dead. And then what does he do? He defeats sin and death and he raises up again. And it's a miracle that's beyond just the physical aspect of all the cells being restructured. That's power. That's amazing power. But it's that this resurrection power that has defeated death, has defeated sin. He's now paved a way for all believers to say, this resurrection is now for all of you that follow after me. So he's paved this path of life and eternal life because of this. Which leads me to the next aspect of this. It's not just resurrection power, it is also ascension power. Ascension power. To ascend means to rise up. Because Christ didn't just raise up from the dead. He then, what did He do? He went to sit at the right hand of the Father. Now, part of this whole aspect of ascension is that you have combined in here, this is the whole scheme of history. I mean, I have a hard time working out a plan that's going to take me a couple days to get through. But God worked out in Christ the redemptive plan of all of history that He planned before the creation of the world. He carried it through to completion, made it happen in Christ, and now Jesus is now where He was before at the right hand of the Father. He came, He lived, He did it. He rose up again, defeating death, living a perfect life. He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He did it. That is power. That's why the word power, the the word that we see when we see this power comes from a Greek word that means the ability, the ability to get things done. The, the power of, of ability. The power of ableness. The, the power of accomplishment. God does exactly what He says He's going to do. That's power. And He did it. And the greatest thing in all of history was not the creation of the universe. It was what He did in Jesus Christ in defeating sin. That's the central aspect of all of history. And Christ did it. And this ascension power, this resurrection power, has been poured into us. He says, it's toward you who believe. So that you might live for Christ. Not live for yourself. Not live so you can have a smooth life. Not, you know, this is why we get so confused with prayer. Lord, give us this, give us this, give us this. James tells us the reason why you're praying you're not getting it is because you're, you're asking this. You're asking so you can spend it on yourself for your own pleasures. The true prayer of the righteous person that, that, that gets much accomplished is a prayer that is saying, your, Lord, your will be done. And I'm praying right in alignment with your will. I'm praying for the things that you want and the things that you desire. Because I'm here not to live for me, but to live for you. And this power has worked itself up within me. And Paul wants us to know. And so there must be something important. The knowing of this power. I mentioned a minute ago, this is why I closed last week, talking about the fact that the the type of people that destroy churches are good people that don't have power. They deny it. They reject it. They're good people. But they don't have the power. The power of God is not working in them and in their hearts. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, avoid these people. Watch out for them. Watch out for the people that look godly, but deny the power of God. They will destroy your church. That puts me at unease because I'm worried, Lord, are we like that? I don't think of Edwin and think the power of God is in Edgewood and the power of God is pouring out from us and I think Lord are we, that? are we there Lord don't let us be there don't let us be there but Paul's not done talking about power there's more not only is it resurrection power raised Christ up from the dead seated him at the right hand of the Father but finally it is also dominion power dominion 
power. Listen to verse 21. Let me end with verse 20. It says, When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places... Then he goes on, far above. The words far above means highly exalted. In other words, not just above, but far above. Way higher than any of the things I'm getting ready to mention is Jesus Christ. Way up there. And so Paul says, far above all, what? What's the first thing he says there? Rule. Some versions say principality. The word literally means the primary thing, the first thing. And it's used to refer to the highest things that exist. The primary things that exist. And so some people understand this to even be talking about angelic beings. Christ is above all principalities or all rules. Right? Every type of primary thing you could ever imagine, Christ is above all. Not just rule and principality, but also authority. Christ is above authority, all authority. This word is talking about not... There's people who are authorities in our life. Sometimes they're authorities because of position. Sometimes they're authorities because of privilege. Sometimes people are an authority because of knowledge and what they understand. They become an authority on an issue. Above all authority, far above, is Jesus Christ. Rule, authority. Here's the word power again. Every power... This is that dunamis again, right? That like dynamite power. This power to accomplish things. The power to get things done. Christ is above all power. Far above. And finally, dominion or lordship is what it literally means. Is all lords you could ever imagine. Christ is Lord. And this is why we say King of Kings. Lord of Lords. Because Jesus has risen above and He is above all things and over all things. He goes on beyond that. He says, and also above every name that is named. Every name that could ever be named. Ever. Christ is above all names. And that, that includes the idea of titles that could be given. That word name can sometimes be translated as titles. Names or titles. And then he says, not just in this age. And the Greek word there for age is eon. Right? Not just in this age or this eon. But what? In the next one as well. Above all, all the time, forever, rises above everything else. The thing that rises above, the person that rises above is Jesus. He's above everything. He's above all things. This is dominion power. Not Muhammad and not Buddha. All these things, not Confucius, right? None of these other names, but Jesus above all. This is why we learn at the end of time, There will come a day where every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. All of them. From all time will know He is Lord. Can can you feel... I think the proper word is a crescendo, right? building up Paul is using the, describing this power above everything can you feel this in Paul's words I mean just let me read this last little bit one more time and he says having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you what are the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come everything And then what's he say next? And he put all things under his feet. And ready for this. This is going to be a very profound... We've got a profound prayer. We've got a profound power. And we're going to end with this absolutely profound point. You ready for it? And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of all these things he just said. The fullness of him who fills all in all. This is amazing, profound, 
point. All this crescendo of power, all this build up of power, and he ends by saying, in the entire focus, he's given head over all things to the church. To me, that's very profound. The word church literally means, the word there means called out. It's a combination of two words together. It means called out. The reason why they had this word is it, 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 it was kind of like an assembly. It was originally before we had it used in this context. It would be if you were going into a town and there was to be a town meeting. They would go and they'd call everybody out. I need all the citizens to come out. We've got to get together. All the citizens. And so the church is all of God's people who have been called out to be part of God's assembly of people on this earth. Okay? That's the church. It was His assembly. We're His body. Christ is the head of this organization, if you might think about it that way. There's the, head of the, there's the body of people. There's the head is Christ. But it's more than that. It's personal. Because it's also used to reference a physical body where Jesus Christ is the head and we're the parts of the body. It's very personal. This is His church. And so this leaves me with a few very profound lessons that we can draw from this. Lesson number one. Lesson number one, I, I believe that we can learn from this, is this. The church is far more important to, than some of us realize or acknowledge. The church is far more important. I mean, if you, you can't read this passage of Scripture and not get that. If all this stuff, talking about Christ, all this power, all this dominion, all this lordship, and Christ is the head of the church, this is what he's doing, this is his body. The church must be far more important than some of us realize or are willing to acknowledge. Many people see church as optional in their spiritual walk with God. Many see church as man's creation or man's idea like there's God and you can have a relationship with God but you know church you know that's probably a good thing as well but if the church is the fullness of Christ if the church is his body all this power all this lordship all this dominion all this ascension power all this resurrection power poured into his people then the church the assembly of believers, the group of believers that have been called out, this must be far more important than we've ever realized or acknowledged. Which brings me to a second lesson. See, because you start thinking, wait. Lesson number two. The church, then, is the center of Christ's unifying work until He returns. The church is the very center of of Christ's unifying work. What Christ is doing. Bringing all things. He's the fullness of all things, right? He fills all things and He's in all things. All of this is centered in God, Christ's work on this earth is centered in His body, the church. All this power, all this dominion. It's the way that Christ is bringing His kingdom into the world is through the church. This means that the hope for Danville is to be found in God's people, the church. It's not simply that people need to get spiritual. I can definitely say it's not just that people need to get moral. I've got to be honest with you. Morality, apart from Christ, is one of the most, if I might say, damning features of humanity. One of the things that keeps people from Christ more than anything else is when they feel like they're pretty good people. We have to recognize that we're horrendous sinners. And we have no hope but Jesus Christ. It's not that people... Sometimes we drive to Danville and we think, they just need to do this. I just wish these people would do this. I just think that they just need to do this. If people would just start doing this. That's not what they need. They need Jesus Christ. And Christ's primary work is through His people, the church. See, there's a connection between Jesus and His church. Which means we can move on to this next lesson, lesson number three. This is a tough one to hear. Your connection and involvement with Christ is mirrored by 
your connection and involvement with church. See, if, if, if we're going to take Paul at his word that the church is the body of Christ, then you have to acknowledge that our connection with Christ, if you want to get an idea of what your connection with Christ is like, you have to ask yourself, what is your connection, what is your involvement like with your church? The church that you, the, the, the local body of believers that you're connected with. The church is his body and his fullness is in the church. Involvement with Christ means involvement in his church. They're inseparable entities. This is why Paul can teach things. This is why Paul can teach things like this. He can talk about how everyone is a part of this body. He starts talking about the church. He says everybody's a part of this body. Right? And then he goes on to talk about how everyone then has a role in the body. There are many members, he says, but all one body. We're all to be functioning, contributing members of this body of Christ. But it's not because we're just functioning, contributing people. We just got natural qualities that helps us be functioning, contributing people. It's because Christ is in us. I was at a basketball game the other day with my son, and one of the teams that they were playing against, there was this boy, and I don't even know if he noticed this, there was this boy that was playing on the other team. Man, he was putting forth all kinds of effort. But one of his arms, he had in this, this kind of a bandage looking thing, you could tell that there was no muscle structure in this arm. And he did, I noticed as he was playing, he, he couldn't move it, he couldn't lift it, it just kind of hung there. And man, he was really trying. Right? He was really working hard. But it's not being a functioning, contributing part of the body of Christ means that the commands from Christ are being acted out in that part of the body. Right? Functioning and contributing, not just in a, a loose appendage that's not doing anything. There's a connection there. And the reason is found in 1 Corinthians. I have a passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I believe I have it for you to read on the screen. Chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, like your physical body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, uh, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, in other words, just like in my body, I've got one spirit, Matt. My hand's not functioning on its own, right? Uh, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, it doesn't matter, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In other words, there's one body. My arm does what Matt says to do, right? My mind that's up here in the head and my spirit that's in my body is what's moving this body and the hands are moving. And so the, the parts of the body of Christ are doing what Christ would want them to do. Because he's, he's Christ. He's the head. We're the body. The hand doesn't go off and do its own thing. The leg doesn't go off and do its own thing. They're all functioning, contributing parts of that body, not because they in themselves are functioning, contributing people, but because Christ is in them. And in them is where He's at. And He's, he's abiding in them and contributing to them. He's empowering them, like Paul says in Ephesians. The power that you have is the power of Christ. And so all are part of that body. The, word, the book of Hebrews talks about attendance to actual meetings. Uh, it's one of the few places in the Bible that talks about coming to church and being part of a group of believers. Uh, but it, it's one of the few times because it's not really a part of, uh, of what's going on. It's not really a necessity to say, come together. They didn't have to do that because they were always there. They always part of it. They were contributing. They understood what it, was, what it meant to be part of a body. And so it wasn't necessary to say all the time, go to church. That wasn't a necessary thing because they knew, they understood what it meant to be part of that body. It's also true that then you can have someone like John can say something like this, and this doesn't make sense unless you understand what it means to be part of the body. This is why John can say something like 1 John 4.20, which says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, right? If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. John, that's harsh. That's harsh, John. 
He goes on, he says, for, for he who... I mean, just think about it. He's just saying, logically, this just makes sense. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That doesn't make sense unless you understand that God's Christ's body is His people, the church. How can I love God but then, then hate one of you? This is why it doesn't make sense when you meet somebody that says, Yeah, I love God. I hate going to church. I hate being around those Christians. Do you see the problem? Do you see why that doesn't make sense? You can say you love God all you want, but what does John say? Man says he loves God but hates his brothers. What is he? He's a liar. How can you love God and not love the people of God? How can you do that? It's not possible. I mean, John isn't just saying this is a weird thing. He's saying it's not possible. It's not possible. This brings me to my next lesson. Lesson number four. If all these things are true, then we have to say this next one. Church is not about what most people think it should be about. See, because when I start talking about these things and loving the church and being... All kinds of things start popping up in our heads. We think, yeah, but there's, there's some reasons people don't... They, they, the hypocrisy they see at church, that's a common thing. Or this, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. The truth is... If, if, what, if we just said, if all we had was Ephesians to build our concept of church, and I would say, you can take the whole New Testament into account. Church is not about what most people think it's about. Now, when I say the word about, like what's the, like the main thing, the main idea, right? There's a lot of people, when you, when you start talking about church, if you want to know what they think church is about, just listen. They'll tell you what they think church is about. There's a lot of people who think church is about a lot of things that it's not what the Bible says it's about. Being the church is about being the body of Christ. Right? Jesus is no longer physically here. But His body is still here. It's His people. That's ultimately what church is about. These times when we get together is simply about working in each other to promote us to be the body wherever we're at in the world. A lot of people, you start talking about church, you know what starts coming up? Well, you know, I, I just think church should be, you know, I mean, they start talking about their Sunday best. You can dress up all you want to church, but that's not what it's about. You say, I don't know, I don't know about it. You don't have to take my word for it. Read your Bible. Look for it for yourself. Be a Berean that says, I don't know, open up your Bible and see what does God say, what does Christ say church is about. And when the Spirit of God prompted those men to write the Bible and it was inspired by Him, what was it about? It's not about clothes. That's what some people think it's about. Some people, all they talk about church is what, what style of music. Oh, I like, oh, I hate this, not... You can like and not like whatever you want, but that is not what church is about. In fact, let me take it the next step. When you make church and getting together about those things, I believe that you are... The word I want to use here is blaspheming, to be honest with you. You're, you're demeaning Jesus Christ and His body. If you make the body of Christ to simply be about these trivial things... You are demeaning Christ's work on this earth. The church is His body. We can talk about these things. We can have preferences. We can, I like this. Or I do. But that is not what it's about. The church is about being the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. What did Jesus do while He was on this earth? That's what we are to be. And that's what we're to be about. Even Jesus, as, when He was young as a child would say, I must be about my Father's business. Right before He went to the cross, He said, not my will, but yours be done. We're to be about what the Father wants us to do. And as we are His body, we are to do what He would have us to do and be about what He would have us to be about. And church needs to be about the things that Christ is about. And it's not about this little trivial stuff. And like I said, when you make it about that stuff, 
I believe you're demeaning Jesus Christ. And you're bringing him down with your words. It's not about those things. It's not about that stuff. And what's it about? Is the question we have to ask. What was Christ about? Lesson number five. Before I put this last one and mention this last one. There's... This has kind of been the connection, the premise of this whole section is recognizing that the church, and if we were to be specific, us, Edgewood, are we God's kind of church? Are we what God would have us to be? And for two and a half years, I think I'm finally starting to understand what God would have us to be. I can remember when I first came here, I was preaching, we want to be God's kind of church. And now I'm starting to get it. What is God's kind of church? What is that actually about? And so, before I mention this last one, let me throw this in there. Or Actually, let me mention this last one. I'm throwing this in here. The problem is not that the church has failed. That would make Christ a failure. But instead, we've not really been a church. Let me explain what I mean by that. A lot of people look at, when I start talking about the fullness of Christ, that Christ's body, right, on the earth is His people. A lot of people really, they go, not what I've seen. I haven't seen that. Most churches I know, I don't see that. I see hypocrisy, I see this, I see that. And they definitely don't see the love of Christ. They don't see churches reaching out and having an impact in the community the way Christ did. And so they go, I love Jesus. I've read about Jesus in the Bible. I love Jesus. He does all kinds of things that I really like. But I don't like church because it's not like that. And so some people think, well, then church has failed. The whole church idea has failed. But you can't say that because to say that church has failed means that Christ has failed because the church is His body. Does that make sense? You can't say church has failed because then Christ, that makes Christ to be a failure. And He's not a failure. He has power to get things done. We already talked about that. Maybe the real problem, when, when you have... See, because we have two different things we have to deal with. You have what we can physically see with our eyes right here, right now. We would say this is a church, right? we got a church building, right? That's not actually the church. We know that. The people, we've got church people here. But if we as a group are not living like Christ in this world, as a group, as a church, as part of a body, functioning in different ways, right? That's what Paul was talking about. We have different ways, means, and functions. We're doing these different parts of the body. If that's not happening, it's not that Christ has failed. If I may put it bluntly, we've been playing church. We've been playing church. Getting together. Nice social event. We like to eat together, get some, good, get some good fellowship. Remember to pray occasionally. But church is about being, being the body of Christ. He has no body here except what we are. The truth is that right now, as it stands right now, if Edgewood Baptist Church shriveled up and disappeared, I have to say, I don't think anybody or very few people would notice its passing. There's very few people that would even... There may be a few people that wouldn't even notice it for a while unless the sign changed. Are we being Christ's body in Danville? What are we, ha- what, what, what are we doing that, that represents that? What are we doing that is like Jesus in Danville? We're to be His body in His fullness. You know, the thing is, not any one of us alone is the church. We together are God's church. And as a pastor, I believe my role is to shepherd and to guide and to teach His Word and to present these things. The church, us, we're, here we are, we're here, we're here together today. God's people. Right? I think... The things that we need to turn to as we close this up is this. Number one, I'm just going to tell you how this has impacted me. How I'm responding to this. 
I've recognized for a long time, and we say, we say these kind of things. Maybe you've said this before. Man, I'm just not praying enough. Right? I'm just not, I know I need to pray more. And God has burdened me. This needs to change. This needs to change this week. Not another day can pass before this change. This has got to change because I, it, I finally recognized. I mean, as long as I've been here, I've always had this feeling that maybe there's something not quite right. When you have a church that's not growing, it's not that we need more numbers. It's not, that, it's not about the numbers. It's not about more people. But the people that are here need to be growing spiritually. And, and part of spiritual growth is, is going to mean other people. And, and, and when, when you don't have growth, when you, if you look at growth and you examine those things, sometimes you have to ask the question, why? What, is there something the matter? And I think one of the key contributing factors is that, and I can't speak for you, I can, I'll know for myself, is I have not been praying the way I need to pray. And so my first application for myself this week is, Lord, I'm going to start praying. I know what I need to pray now. I know... I, I finally, you know, I could see, but I didn't see it. Now I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm praying for. And I'm, I'm thankful for those who came today. I was kind of, I've been praying all week for some other people that I was kind of hoping would be here. Some of our peripheral people, you know. But when everybody was here, I, I say this all the time, Lord, I, I believe you brought exactly here you wanted to be here. But man, today I knew God had brought here exactly who he wanted here today so I'm praying for all of you primarily and this is the first thing I'm praying for it's a scary prayer I'm praying that God will do whatever it takes to get each of you and myself to be the people that God wants us to be do you see why that's a scary prayer to pray does anybody ever pray that way with hesitation? Like, I want to pray that way, but your mind immediately starts thinking about all the things it could mean. You start thinking about people you love. You start thinking about different tragedies that could happen to yourself. But I want you to know, I've got a list. I've got it right here, actually. I have a list of names. And I'm daily praying, Lord, I'm praying that you'll do whatever it takes to get us to be exactly where we need to be. We're not a church that's filled with God's power. I hate, I hate saying it, but it's just true. We're not a church that's filled with the power of God. But the power of God is about the people. The church is the people. And I'm praying for each one of you that God will do whatever it takes to bring glory to His name through Edgewood, ba- Edgewood Baptist Church. Whatever it takes. Whatever trial, whatever tragedy, whatever hardship, I'm not leaving myself out of this prayer. In fact, I ask you to pray this for myself, to pray for me. God, if we're going to be God's kind of church, we need a pastor who's filled with the Spirit of God. Lord, we pray that you would do whatever you need to do to Matt to get him to be where you want him to be. That's scary for me. I love my family. I love, there's a lot of people that I love dearly. And it makes me, it makes me afraid. But I'm willing to go through whatever God wants to do. Because I don't want to get to heaven and stand before God and have Him say, Well, you're in. I have one life to live. You have one life to live. That's it. Now, if you listen to the world, they'll say, you got one life, so live it to the fullest. Enjoy every moment. Cherish each day. Those are lies. Those are lies from Satan. you got one life to live. Pray to God that He will protect you from the American dream of ease 
no trials, no tragedy. Pray, God, protect me from that. Save me from ease. Save me, God, from comfort. Lord, I don't want to have heaven yet. I want to wait until I get there. I believe that all of you are the ones that God is going to stir this up in. I believe it, absolutely. I believe that each one of you, some of you, I'm praying that God will just stir up within you. Some of you, I don't know if you're saved, and I'm, I hope that you are. I'm praying that God will save you if you're not. Save you from yourself. Save you from a life of pleasure and joy. To have a life that's lived for Jesus Christ. That you might walk in His footsteps and suffer for His name's sake. So that when you stand before God one day, throw the doors open, and they'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. What I gave you to do, you did it. You suffered and were faithful. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that for me. I'm praying that God will change us. And my request is that we do this together. We band together and say, okay, we've been piddling around for two and a half years. Maybe more for most of us. But we've been piddling around, piddling around for two and a half years at this church, talking about things. Well, we probably need to pray more. We probably need to read the Bible more. We probably need to do this a little bit more. We probably need to... It's got to stop. We're in a desperate situation. And I'm not talking about whether or not Edgewood, the building, stays. I'm talking about when you choose to not be part of the body of Christ functioning, there needs to be a question in your mind of whether or not you're even really part of the body. I believe there will be people who end up in hell that spent their whole lives going to church every single Sunday. But they refused the power of God. And they denied it. They had a form of godliness, but rejected the power. We're in a desperate situation, and we need to pray desperately. Now I'm going to close in prayer. It's 12 o'clock. I'm going to close in prayer. And as soon as I'm done, I'm going to dismiss you. And I'll probably talk to you on the way out. Good to see you. So glad. But I want you to know in my heart and in my mind, the thing I care about most is that God will be with you this week, not for safety. I'll protect you from that. But instead, that this week would be a week that God's Spirit penetrates your hard heart and my hard heart. And we have real change this week. I'd like you to add on to that prayer. We have a lot of people. In fact, if you just take a piece of paper and you start listening to all the people that have visited our church occasionally or randomly, if God just worked with those people this building would be full not to mention the rest of Danville but if God just worked in the people that we've and so we need to be doing things this week I believe that as you begin to pray people's names are going to be popping in your mind and you're going to go I need to call them how you been what's been going on don't expect someone else to do that you're part of the body and as God lays things on you know, it'd be like if I said, uh, told my hand, please pick up the drink there so I can have a sip. And it said, well, I think the other hand will probably do it. As the Spirit sends the message down, the nerve tissue, right? This is the message. This is the one getting the message. So if you're sitting there and God lays someone's name on your heart, don't just say, hey, could you do this? God is prompting you, God's Spirit, as you being part of the body, He's prompting you to do something. And to call somebody and to encourage someone. We need to be willing to be obedient parts of the body and not just a loose appendage. Listen to what the Spirit has for you. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I just want to pray now on behalf of all of us in this room. Lord, I believe more than any other week I've ever said this, God, I believe that you have brought into this room today exactly who you want to be here to hear these things. Lord, I pray that this week that, God, you will do whatever it takes in every person's heart that's here today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with each 
individual person in this room. God, that you will work with them this week and do whatever it takes. Lord, if I might be more specific. Lord, I'd like to pray for each person here. And Lord, I'm just going to go around the room. Lord, I'm going to start in the back of the room. Lord, I pray for the greens this week. For Jem and Emma. God, I pray that this week you would be with them in such a way, Lord, that your power would be in their life. Lord, whatever is going on with them, God, I pray that you'd be with them and you'd stir up within them your power. Your spirit would be a present reality. Lord, I pray for Denise. Lord, I also pray for Amanda, God. I pray that this week would be a week more than ever that your spirit would be communicating with them, letting them know, what do I say? What don't I say? How can I do this? Prompt them to pray. Help them to be faithful. Lord, I pray for Emma Lou. God, I pray that you would be with her this week and that you would just work in her heart. Help her, Lord, to continue to, to, to trust in you in all trials and all circumstances. But Lord, I pray for your power in her life, Lord. Give her wisdom beyond her years. Give her wisdom beyond her understanding. Lord, I pray that you would be with John and with Johnny and with Chris and with James and with Lincoln. Lord, I pray that you would be with this family. God, I pray that your spirit would be on them in a powerful way. Lord, I pray that as you prompt each one of them to to pray or to read their Bibles or to seek after you, God, I pray that your spirit would speak louder than it's ever spoken before. Lord, I pray for Ed and I pray for Norma. Lord, I thank you, God, for their faithfulness to be here for such a long time and for so many years a part of this church. But Lord, I pray that you'd help them. Lord, protect them, Lord, from becoming stagnant in their continued growth. God, they've been here and they've been faithful, Lord, and you've done that in them, Lord, and I thank you for that. But I just pray that you continue, Lord, pour out your spirit on them as well. Lord, I pray for my family. I pray for my dad. I pray for my mom, Lord, another family that's been here for years have been a part of this church. God, I pray that you would as well would be with them, Lord. It's so easy for so many people to fall into the trap of, I've been here, I've done that. Lord, help them to continue to grow. Lord, I pray for your spirit to be poured out on them. Lord, I pray for Becky. Lord, I pray for Katie. I pray for Ashley, Lord, as they've ministered to music today. Lord, I pray that you'd protect them from thinking they've done their part. Well, there's so much more that you may have for them this week. And God, I pray you do whatever it takes to get them to be the kind of people you want them to be. Pour your spirit out in their lives. Strengthen them this week. Encourage them from the heart. Lord, I pray for my immediate family, Lord, for my wife and for my two children. God, I pray that you'd be with us. Help us, Lord, to not neglect you, not forget you. But, Lord, to trust in you at all times. Lord, pour your spirit out into my family this week. Lord, do whatever it takes with me and with my children and with my wife, God. Lord, do whatever it takes. Whatever challenge, Lord, is necessary, God, I'm not afraid for you to do whatever you want, Lord, because my hope is in you. Lord, I pray for Frank. God, I pray that you'd be with him. And, and this week, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with him in a special way, Lord. Ways that maybe he's never seen before. God, with all of us, I, I pray these same things. Lord, I pray that each one of us, Lord, your spirit would be poured out in power and in might. Lord, that we might experience that. We might know it, Lord. I pray that none of us would miss it. Lord, I pray for that in a special way this week. And once again... Lord, if there's things that need to happen that will bring glory to your name, we're ready. And if we're not ready, God, I pray that you will get us to be ready so that Christ might be lifted up in Danville and the Edgewood Baptist Church might be functioning as part of that body. Lord, we can pray these things and ask for these things because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so, Lord, I know that Christ Himself gave us the words to end and to pray our prayers with, that we are to pray them not in our own name, not because of us, 
but because of the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray all these things and ask that you will answer them.